Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. All right, well, good morning, everybody. We're gonna get started and see if hopefully the, the youth group to my left can stay under control this morning and pay attention uh, because there are there is a small uh, encyclopedia of notes this morning, which will be good. It'll be healthy. And, and I promise we will go... We will not go much past 11, I absolutely promise. I, I promise, we'll get out of here soon. So, but as we always do before we open up God's word, we should do that in prayer. And uh, sometimes I forget before the message to start out in prayer. So let's pray real quick. Lord, we just love you so much. And we thank you, God, for your word. God, we thank you for your anointing that you teach us everything in the word of God. And we thank you that, Lord... You have preserved your word for us from the very beginning, despite every attack from the enemy to subdue it, to displace it, to pick it apart. God, you are already victorious and you have preserved it for us. And so, God, we pray that your anointing would teach us everything this morning from 1 John 2.27. And, God, as we continue to learn how great people throughout history, walked pleasing to you by faith. May it give us the guidebook for how to do that same thing in the day in which we live. We love you, and we give you all of the praise and the honor in advance for it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we start this morning, if you are watching this online or if you found us somehow and you're new here, just Keep in mind, this is, a, this is a staple of New City Church, is 1 John 2, 27 and 28, in that you know, we do study the depths of God's word, and you do not need any man to teach you anything in the Bible, because you, if you are saved and a child of the King, you have the Holy Spirit that is your anointing to teach you everything. And that is the verse that you should take to the throne room of the universe every single time before you open God's word. It's 1 John 2, 27 and 28. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth of you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, that's Jesus at the rapture, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And I'm often reminded of, whenever I read verse 28 there, the confidence in not being ashamed, I'm often reminded of the mission statement that the Lord wrote before he founded New City Church in 2020. It's to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride for Jesus' return. And he's really been speaking to me a lot the last year about those words. And, and the growing part, this was something he just laid on my heart to share with all of you, to foster, strengthen, and grow, the growing part is in the individual, not in numbers. 
And, and the church is about growing the depth of the person and growing the depth of the family in their relationship with God. It's not about growing more numbers and families and, and becoming something gigantic. That's not what it's about. That, the Lord may have that for us. I don't know. I don't know what he has for us. But I do know that that growth is in you and I and in our families and our depth of the relationship we have with the king because that's how we get an unashamed bride looking for his return. So how do we foster, strengthen, and grow that unashamed bride? It's, it is the depth in the study of God's word. And Hebrews, it's amazing because it is written to us, the believer today. It's not written to the unbeliever. It has nothing to do with how to be saved. The whole book is about how you cling and build to your faith, build on your faith. And it lays out the warnings for not clinging to Jesus. Remember, the whole book is structured around these five warnings. So in our outline of where we are in the book, we're, we're nearing the end. The true and better response is faith. And so chapter 11, we are taking it in small chunks because it is so deep to really understand what it means to walk by faith and to be pleasing to God. That's what this whole chapter is all about. And all leading up to chapter 11, the whole book is all of these theological, these deep, deep truths about who is Jesus as our high priest, the better sacrifice. He is our, our king priest. And all of these things are led up to chapter 11, where because of all of this, you should have complete confidence and faith in what you're doing in your relationship with the Lord. So remember in chapter 1 all the way through chapter 10, verse 18, the Lord was dealing with the superiority of Jesus to these three pillars of Judaism. The law, the angels, Jesus created the angels and is the Son of God, and the Levitical priesthood. And those three pillars, God is saying, okay, Israelites, you no longer have to look to any of these because the one has come and died who is superior to all of these. And so they're tr he's trying to call them out of sacrificing in the temple. Remember, Hebrews is written in this really kind of weird period of time where Jesus has died and been resurrected and ascended, but the temple is still standing before 70 AD when it was destroyed by the Romans. And so it's this weird kind of 38-year period, which ironically is the number of the or the length of the generation in the wilderness, but this 38-year period where a lot of Jews felt the need to still be sacrificing despite Jesus' once-and-for-all sacrifice. And so the Lord hits a lot of that head-on in the first 10 chapters of the book. And so these five warnings, they're written to us as the believer today to take this and these five warnings of holding on to your faith and clinging to Jesus. Remember, we've covered four of these so far. The danger of drifting, the danger of hardening the heart, the danger of failing to mature, the danger of willful sin, and then finally, the danger of refusing. And each of those, you can look at the sections of Scripture there. But the danger of willful sin was the last one we covered. And each one of these warnings builds upon the previous, ultimately culminating with apostasy. That's the final step in refusing the faith. And I'm sure many of you in this room, if you've been a believer for any length of time, have experienced family members or friends or loved ones at some point that have walked away from the faith. I know I have. I've had a lot of friends that I've grown up with 
um, go the other way, mainly in college, some after in a young adulthood. But you can see after looking back now on, on my life personally, you can see that progression start to happen. And I wish, looking back, it's one of the one of the things that I, not that I regret necessarily, but I wish I would have known more about this pattern because it, it gives you the ability to go and minister to them and point this out to them and to pull them back as we studied previously in Hebrews. So those warnings are there and they're in place because God is longing for a deep relationship with his church and you specifically as the individual. He does not want you to drift away And remember, it has nothing to do with your salvation. Do not misunderstand. You cannot lose your salvation because he paid it all. You did nothing to earn it. You can do nothing to lose it. If you were responsible to hold on to it, then what Christ did on the cross was not complete. It's just that simple if you think about it. If it's complete, then it's complete. It's not his death plus you doing some things in your life to hold on to it. Once you are saved, that's why Jesus in John 3, talking to Nicodemus, says you must be born again. How can one be born again and then be unborn? You can't. That can't happen. You can never go back and say, Lord, I wish I was was never born. Even if you didn't want to be born, you were born. And so you can't go backwards at that point. It's It's you getting on the starting block of now, what am I going to do with the new life and the freedom I have been given in the Lord? That's the question. And you're wanting to run as fast as you can with Jesus and get into a deep, deep relationship with him because there's a kingdom at hand. And the Bible is a kingdom book, and we're going to talk a lot about it today, but the question is, will you stay strong in Jesus, or do you start to drift away and lose your position in that coming kingdom. That is what is at stake. It has nothing to do with your salvation. So let's go back through these first couple of verses in Hebrews, just to get the Hebrews 11, to get the feel of where we are in verse 6 today. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Remember, that's the definition of faith. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And remember, we we took a whole week to study the physics lesson in that one statement on confirming the other dimensions we don't have access to right now. Quantum physics is proving this more and more every single week, and but the Lord knew all along. So as a result of all of this, What should our response be in walking through the world? By the word of God, we too should build our faith so that we can overcome and press on. Like in verse two, for by it, by what? By faith, the elders obtained a good report. You know, and that's really at the end of it all, what matters the most? Will you stand before your king and will he say, well done, good and faithful servant? Do you have a good report at the end of it all? Romans 8, 16 and 17, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him. See, even in the subtlety of the language, the Lord 
is revealing truths that, yes, you too can reign and rule with Christ in the coming kingdom, literally in the millennium on the earth, if you press on and you suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. In verse 4, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. And we talked a lot about the rapture last week and how just like before the flood of Noah, there were three groups of people, those that were taken before the judgment, those that survived during the judgment, and those that perished in the judgment. The same three groups before the seven-year tribulation. The church removed prior to, those that are sealed and protected and preserved during. In Revelation, those are the 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, The tribe of Dan is not sealed. Remember, there's actually 13 tribes in the Bible, so don't get confused by that. Joseph had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, who were adopted by Jacob. And so the Lord has 13 names to pick from to come up with 12. But in the 12 that are sealed in Revelation, if you recall from our study, Dan is not sealed. And the reason is because he was the one that let idolatry enter the land when they came into the promised land. It was by Dan that the golden calf was refashioned and and all of that if they crossed the Jordan. So that's one reason why he's not sealed in the tribulation. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. So this is where our study today picks up. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Okay, so let's unpack these these two verses here. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Okay, it's not that it's, it's difficult, it's hard to achieve, you simply need more works. It's none of that. It's without faith, it is impossible to please him. In other words, it cannot be accomplished. And in the Greek word for impossible, it literally means unable to be done. So you can't do it. You cannot earn your way to please God. And like we talked about with last week with Abel and Cain, the faith, the, the works that are pleasing to God come out of the faith. You don't have works and then you're pleasing to God. You build your faith in God by the word of God. And through that, like we studied in James, you will be known by your fruit because you're abiding in God's word. He's directing you in your life and telling you exactly what you need to do And as a result, those works come out that glorify him. It's not the other way around. And so that's the order. So it's impossible. You cannot do it. If you are not in the word of God, it's impossible to please him. Because remember, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So in all of these people in chapter 11 that we're going to study, each one of them, the reason why God was well pleased with them was because of their faith They had heard God say something, and they clung to it, and they led out and walked a mission, 
as a result. That's what we are to do today. So the Greek word for impossible, it's already been used three times in the book of Hebrews. And here are two examples. Hebrews 6.18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. See, just like it's impossible for you to please God without faith, it's impossible for God to lie. It's the same thing. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Okay, verse 10, chapter 10, verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. So same, same concept, same impossibility. The Greek word for to please literally means to be well-pleased with a thing. So it's, it's God is being well-pleasing with you. He's excited about what you're doing. So this word, it's only used three times in the New Testament. All of them are in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 5, chapter 11, verse 6, and chapter 13, verse 16. So look at these two verses from chapter 13. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Isn't that amazing how God declares one of the sacrifices you can offer to God is the fruit of your speech and how you conduct your tongue and how, what you say. It can either glorify him and steer the body in the right direction, or it can blaspheme and steer the body in the wrong direction. Your tongue is a, is a very powerful tool. That's why James said there is life and death in the power of the tongue. You have life in your tongue. You can speak death over yourself by your tongue. And you see this a lot in people that, it's, I don't want to give a crude example, but you see this a lot in people about, um, you know, well, I just never, whatever, I'm always sick, you know, or I'm always uh, down, I'm always, and they're just literally speaking death over themselves constantly. Instead, turn that around and say, by the name of Jesus, I am joyful and happy and anointed with gladness. I have no depression, no anxiety. I am healthy and whole by the blood of Christ, and I am walking in total liberty and freedom. And you will do that. You have to keep speaking it over your life and over your children. In verse 16, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And so when you give yourself as a living sacrifice to God, and you've given the power of your tongue over to his authority, he is well pleased with that. So be a well-pleasing, faithful servant. Remember Matthew 25, verse 21. His Lord said unto him, well well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And that is a promise that you and I have. That if he, God has this principle all through the Bible. If he trusts you with a little bit and you are a good steward of it, he will trust you with more. And that doesn't mean finances or a a business. It can mean that, but it also means a calling. What does he trust you with? If he's giving you something out of his word and he trusts you with it, what do you do with it? Do you go and bury it and just say, Lord, that that was awesome. Thank you for that revelation. I'm going to go 
put my head in the sand and do nothing with it? Or do you go and you multiply it and you take it out to his people, you share it, you fellowship with other believers? That's what he's wanting you to do. Okay, there are two prerequisites here listed by God. For he that comes to God. And the Greek word for that cometh in verse 6 here, it means to draw near to. Think of it as one who is longing for and drawing near for a deeper relationship. You know, this is, this is someone, put it in a simple terms for those that are married in this room. This is someone that when you're married, you want to spend time with your spouse and take her to dinner. You want to uh, get home from work, get the kids to bed, and you sit and you talk about how was your day. You're longing for a deep relationship, right? You want to know what is going on. How can I pray for you? How can I come alongside you? That's what this, think about it kind of in those terms. You're longing for drawing closer to the one that created you and that can help you in everything. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Okay, there's a principle there. When you draw near to God with a full assurance of faith, number one, that means full assurance of what his word declares and promises. Number two, having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. That can't happen if you're not building your faith in the word of God. That's how you get a cleansed and purified conscience. You know, I hear people all the time, well, uh, when, I'm, when I'm praying, I'm interrupted, or th- these thoughts just pop on my head, I don't know where they come from. This is the answer to get in God's word, to wash your body and your mind with the renewing and regenerative power of God's word. That's how you cleanse that out over time. It doesn't happen tomorrow. It happens over time. It's washing away slowly everything that the enemy has infiltrated into your life. Our bodies washed with pure water. That water is by the word. That's the only pure water. This verse reminded me of James 4.8. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. You know, it doesn't say God draws close to everyone. He's a gentleman. If you want nothing to do with him in your life, he's going to respect that. If you want everything to do with him in your life, he's going to honor and respect that and come closer and closer and closer. So keep that in mind. Okay, God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This Greek word for a rewarder, it literally means one who pays wages. And it only appears this one time in the entire New Testament. I found that really interesting that this is a title of God that's only here in this one verse in chapter six. You know, one who pays wages, what does Romans say? The wages of sin is death, right? God is one who pays wages. And so those that are not saved, either he can pay that wage of death for you or you can pay it for eternity on your own. That's the difference. And a lot of unsaved people don't understand that See, when you were born and you sinned against God, you sinned against an eternal, holy, righteous being. You didn't just sin for your lifetime. It wasn't just a 60 or 72 years or however long you lived. Because he's eternal, that sin is eternal. Because that sin is eternal, 
the wage of it for death is eternal. That's why those that are not saved have to spend an eternity in hell from him. And so you can either simply let the one that paid for it for everyone pay that on your behalf because he's the only one that could pay it and conquer it, or you can spend eternity separated from him and try to do it on your own. And that's, that's the, the sad truth of the matter. But this rewarder, one who pays wages, see the opposite is true too. When you're in him and you're serving him, he pays a wage for faithful service. That's what we saw in Matthew 25 with the parable of the talents, right? You, you all remember the one, that, the one servant that had a lot of talents did much with them and God took from the one that buried his talent and gave it to the one that used them. And it sounds very politically incorrect in our world today, right, to do that. But that's God's economy. His economy is if you are going to be well-pleasing to him and use the talents you've been given, he will reward you and give you more. It's, it's like a, we do it all the time with our kids, right? All of us that have children in the room, you reward them for something good. Maybe they make straight A's. Maybe they did all their chores. Maybe they went above and beyond in helping a neighbor and you have a heart of gratitude to thank them and reward them somehow. But throughout the Bible, the Lord has many conditional statements on the rewards he gives for faithful service. And that is whether or not you are an overcomer from 1 John. And when you study Revelation 2 and 3, you remember those seven promises, the seven letters to the seven churches, he that overcomes, and then there's a conditional promise or a, a promise of reward. You'll be a pillar in God's temple. You'll be sitting with Jesus in his throne. You'll have a white stone with a new name. You'll get a white garment. All of those are different rewards for faithful service. And we're going to look at that list next week again. But there's five crowns in the Bible, each one listed for something different that you do. There's all those rewards to the overcomer. And I'm completely convinced those are not all-inclusive lists. Those are, those are just snippets from God to give you a feel for, wow, there really is something on the other side of all of this waiting for us. It should give you the urgency to press on in what you're doing, in living for God. You know, it'd be, it would be easy to say, well, we're all just going to rule and reign with Christ. What's the point? I'm saved. Let's go to Vegas. You know, it'd be super easy, right, to do that. But that's not God's, that is not God's economy. That's not how God works. He has a mission for your life to live out in faithful obedience for him. Okay, so look at the, all these verses. Matthew seven eleven. If, uh, what I want you to notice is every one of these verses says if. That's, all I did was I pulled up Blue Letter Bible and I typed in if. That was it. And everyone that, was, that had something to do with a reward from God or a punishment from God was copied here. So Matthew seven eleven. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to him that ask him? Same thing, same kind of concept. Matthew eleven fourteen. And if you will receive it, this is... Elijah, which was to come. Now, this one is important because when Jesus came the first time, he was coming to usher in the kingdom if the Jews had accepted him. 
he knew they were going to reject him, and so he had a plan, right, for the resurrection, the crucifixion, the redemption of all mankind, to build the church. But when you read the last chapter of the entire Old Testament, God promises before that great and dreadful day, he will send Elijah again to the Jews and to the world. And what Jesus says, Matthew 11, it's one of those verses that really will, it just, it's a head scratcher when you think about it. And if you will receive it, he's talking about the kingdom and his coming the first time. Jews, if you would have received it, it would not have been John the Baptist, it would have been Elijah that would have come. So there was a conditional statement, right? If, if you would have received it. Don't let that confuse you too much. It's, it's the Lord obviously in his providence knew what was going to happen and had a whole plan, but he knew they would not accept him. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. That's the rich young ruler, remember? If you want to go deeper in your relationship with me, if you want to try to strive toward perfection, then go sell everything. That's, that's not a principle that God is saying, hey, you need to go sell everything. He may call you to do that, but the rich young ruler, that was a stronghold in his life. See, he was letting money rule him instead of him ruling the, and stewarding what God had given him. And so God was, was asking him, go get rid of that stronghold and come and follow me. You never hear of him again in all of, all of the Bible. I don't know what happened to him. It'll be an interesting thing to ask the Lord, what, whatever happened to that guy? Maybe we'll meet him in heaven. I hope so. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. So if you love his words, there's a promise that God will make his abode with you. John 15, seven, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. If, if you let his word abide in you, your prayers have so much more fruit because in Psalms, it talks about how God will grant the desires of your heart. He's not saying if you desire something, he'll just, he's going to say, okay, I'm granting that. What he's saying is he will implant the desires in your heart. And so the more you get in his word, the more you're abiding with him, the more you're understanding his will for your life, your prayers become his will, and he will grant those. John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. There's another if. John 15, 14, ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. So if you want to be a friend of God, you need to do what he commands. And you see this with Abraham. Remember Jesus and the two angels before Sodom and Gomorrah come to Abraham and say, should we not tell him what we're about to do? Is Abraham not a friend of God? There's a principle there. The deeper you get with him, then like Daniel, he was the only prophet who was beloved the beloved prophet of Daniel. And Daniel, as a result, gets a fantastic, the most incredible prophecy in the whole Bible, the 70 weeks of Daniel and visions of the end time beast kingdom. It's because he was the beloved prophet. Same thing in the New Testament, the disciples. John was the beloved disciple and he got to write the book of Revelation. So you see that principle even in the scripture from a high level of being a friend versus a one that is loved. And not that 
nobody in here is not loved. It's just a matter of the relationship. John was always the closest to Jesus everywhere they went, even physically. He was the one laying his head on his chest, and he was the one at dinner asking him questions. And so there's a, there's a concept there. Romans 8, 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Well, that's pretty straightforward. <laughs> but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So these if statements. Romans 8, 16, we read earlier. So some rewards are not positive. First, look at 1 Corinthians 3, 17. If any man, can you go back, Aaron, sorry. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. That is not a, a good promise, a good conditional. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So once you're in Christ, your body is the temple of God. And so there's a whole principle there. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 11. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now this is, this is one of the greatest scenes that you and I have to look forward to as a believer this is when you are at the judgment seat of Christ where you get the rewards for everything you did in your life. In verse 12, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. So notice the foundation is Jesus. You've been saved. That foundation is laid. You are running in your life and building upon that foundation with what you do for the kingdom. And there's two groups of three things. Precious stones, gold and silver, or wood, hay, stubble. Wood, hay, stubble is combustible by fire. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. That's the day of Christ, not the day of the Lord. Look at the difference in the New Testament of the day of Christ. That's when he raptures us home and gives us the fruit of what we did for his kingdom. Because it shall be revealed by fire. So everything you did in your life will be tested by fire. And if it was of the flesh and of the world, it is burnt away as wood, hay, stubble, never to be discussed again in the kingdom of God ever again, because he forgets it all. But if every man's work, if, there's any, man's, if any man's work abide, it's gold, silver, precious stones, he, that he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. See, that whole scene, your salvation is not what's on trial there. It's what you did with it. And that's a seat only for the believer. That's not the great white throne judgment is for the unbeliever. That's, you don't want to be there. <laughs> that's not the good one. When the books are open and you're judged by your works, that's not a good one. What you want to be judged by is what you did, your salvation, and what you did for the kingdom. And then the Lord welcomes you into that. It's a seat of immense excitement. Just keep that in mind. It's the time where you get to run to Jesus and he's gonna put his arms around you and say, all of those years, everything you did, you did it for me and I am thankful. And here, come into your kingdom with me. 1 Corinthians 6, verse one. Dear any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, 
Are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. See, you have the opportunity, what I love about these verses, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 4, he is going to give you an opportunity to judge the world and the angels that rebelled against him. That is a high place of authority in his kingdom. And you get to do that if you stay faithful with him and you run hard for the kingdom with him and don't let the enemy lie to you and take you astray, that you get to do that. That is an amazing promise that one day you get to judge the world. The other principle here, starting in verse one and confirmed in verse four, is that if you have something against a brother, another in the church, why do you go to a court system full of unjust people? Go within the church and let people that are the least in the church, in other words, those that are really quiet, humble, the least esteemed in the church. Isn't that amazing? And let them judge the matter. So you have that opportunity. That's really cool. I don't know how many of you have gotten to judge the, the world yet or the angels, but uh, it hasn't quite happened yet. I'm looking forward to that, to that day to see uh, what that judgment declares. 1 Corinthians 9, 17, For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. There's the concept again. Doing it willingly, you have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Galatians 3.18, For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. See, inheritance is not of the law. In other words, not of works. The inheritance is of the promise. It's of God's word. And if ye be Christ, then ye be Abraham's seed and heirs according to that promise. You have a promise of inheritance that God declared on your behalf, and you can have surety of it because he's the same God that promised it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they have not seen it yet. They still, to this day, have not inherited what he promised them, which is the land from the river Nile to the river Euphrates. From Egypt to Iraq, he promised them that land unconditionally, and they will get it in the millennium when they are resurrected because they're an heir to the promise of God's word, and you and I have that same assurity. So Galatians 4, 7, Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That's what you are when you're born again. You are a son of the Most High King. You're not a slave servant in bondage to sin anymore. And so Christians need to understand when you become born again, you're not perfect. You have the opportunity to strive to perfection, to let sin not rule and reign in your life anymore. You have that opportunity. Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. That was Mason's message a few weeks ago. Philippians 1.22, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I won't not. So if you choose as a Christian to live in the flesh in this world, this world is the fruit of your labor. And that's pretty straightforward. You can have the reward here now, or you can have the reward eternally with God and Christ when he sits on his throne. Colossians 1.21, and you 
that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If, if, so how can you be presented holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight? If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. That's an interesting word that God preached the gospel to every creature. He's not just talking about mankind. He's talking about the angels, the seraphim, the cherubim, the watchers, all of these different entities that God created. Whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. See, God is telling you to seek them because he gives them to those who diligently seek him. In Colossians 3.1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So if you are born again, seek that which is above. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. There's a reward for working. Um, that's, I won't say anything further. 1 Timothy 2.15, Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So notice these two conditions, suffer to reign or denying to be denied. Look at 2 Timothy 2.11. is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Notice the two conditions. If we suffer, we reign. If we deny, he denies. That doesn't mean that you lose your salvation. He's denying you a seat of authority in the kingdom. That is what the denial is. So be a vessel, kind of to wrap up this section here. Be a vessel of honor in the Lord's house. 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ Depart from iniquity. So if you're saved, run away from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender or garner up strifes. So isn't that amazing? In the Lord's house, there's all these different vessels. So back in Hebrews 3, but Christ is a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence, Hebrews 3.14, for we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence. Hebrews 10.38, now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. There's even a reward for watching for Jesus. Revelation 3.3, 3, 
Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If, therefore, thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. So in Revelation 3.3, note the promise. If you are not watching for the rapture of Jesus and to go home, he will come upon you as a thief. That must mean, if you're watching, that he won't. And there's a concept, a promise to watching prophetically what is going on in the world. And so we just covered 44 verses on conditional promises of God for rewards. And I, I wanted to go through that. I know it's kind of long, but I wanted to go through that to give you guys a feel that this is not something that's isolated to one or two verses. And I didn't even select them all. I just went through a high-level view of them. But notice all through the Bible, we could have gone back to the Old Testament. Think about Jacob and Esau. Okay, the firstborn, it was transplanted. Think about uh, with Reuben. Reuben, the son of Jacob, he was the firstborn, but he forfeited his rights to the last, Benjamin. And so there's that concept all through the Bible. In any case, Hebrews 11.7, the last verse for today. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. See, the, to become an heir of righteousness, it's by faith, and it's by the word of God, and it's by you living out what God is telling you to do. That's how all of these people that God goes through lived their lives. They lived God told Abraham to do something and didn't talk to him again for 40 years, and he did it. 40 years, he didn't hear from him again. But he clung to one promise of God, and that was enough to keep him going for four decades. You know, some of us get antsy if you don't hear from him every day, or if you don't hear from him once a week on what you should do with something. Trust the indwelling Holy Spirit in you that you have a guide now that you do talk with daily. See, Abraham did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He heard from God once, and that was it. Now move on, keep going. Okay, Noah, think about Noah. Noah was a mighty servant of God. His name appears 52 times in the Bible. And he was warned of things not seen as yet. So this is... This is where a lot of people get the idea that it had not rained yet on the earth. And, and that's very possible. I'm not saying yes or no to that. But this statement by God, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, he does not specify, just to clarify, God does not specify anywhere in the, his word exactly what had not happened yet, only that there was something that was about to happen that had never occurred. Uh, it probably was rain. That's probably a good, a good theory. Uh, we do know that the earth's atmosphere was completely different before the flood of Noah. That we know. And we know that because the fossil records, for example. Uh, there likely was a universal temperature at the time. That's why they found fossils of woolly mammoths with palm tree leaves in, in their mouths up in the Antarctica, North Pole area, Iceland, Greenland, the whole, that whole sector. I think I mentioned this last time, but it could have just been simply that 
the earth had never tilted the axis of the earth before. So as you know, the, the axis of the earth is tilted 23 and a half degrees off center line. And when you, if the earth was parallel, if the axis was parallel to the sun, we would not have ice caps because, and there would be a universal temperature. But what God did at this time, one of the ways the oceans covered the deep and covered the mountains, can you imagine all of that water if you just tilted the earth 23 and a half degrees like we are now? All of the oceans just covering the earth at that point and then taking days to subside. That's probably what happened and what led to the, our climate today. That's why we have ice caps. But the earth's atmosphere was completely different and, there's, and the only way you can make a fossil record is by a very high water table or high immense amount of pressure. Okay, when a deer dies in the forest, it just decays, right? It doesn't become a fossil. So fossils only occurred in the flood of Noah. And it took that much depth of water, that much pressure to push down because to preserve something Okay, it's dead, you have all of this pressure, and then it's fossilized by all the, the sediment and the earth and the, and the dirt moving around. A lot of the mountains you see today were formed during the flood of Noah. So if you think about in, the, in Genesis, I think I have this verse in here in a minute, but the water was only 15 cubits high. That's not very high. That doesn't, I mean, you could go down to Lawton on Mount Scott and get above the water at that point. But so how did it cover the earth? Well, because the mountain ranges we see today were formed afterward. And that's, so when the water, think about when he tilted the earth and the water's going everywhere, it's, it's forming the Grand Canyon, it's making the Rocky Mountains, it's pushing all of that earth up into hills. Okay, so just think about that logically, how that would work. It's also, um, I think I mentioned this last week, but when the, when the, world, when the earth is tilted, okay, God removed it out of its place. In the seven-year tribulation, that's why in Isaiah, God says the earth will rock to and fro like a drunkard in the seven-year tribulation. It's going to be like a wobbling drunkard during that time. That's why Jesus in Matthew 24 says, as in the days of Noah, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. There's a lot that classified the days of Noah, but one of them is a major earth shift. And so God, once again, according to Isaiah, is going to take the earth out of her place. It's, gonna, it's going to wobble in the universe, just to and fro with no consistency. And that's why Jesus says in the seven-year tribulation, no man shall know the day nor the hour. There will be no consistency of time during the tribulation. Okay, he also says that about his second coming. Don't misunderstand about the rapture, I mean but it's a different context and a different set of passages. You've got to rightly divide when he says that because in Matthew 24, he's talking about during the tribulation, nobody's going to know what time it is. That's why the sun will come up for an hour. The earth's wobbling around. It'll, it'll duck back down. It's why in Daniel, the Antichrist seeks to change laws and seasons and times because he's got to come up with some kind of calendar during that time to try to control it. Okay, when you look at the Earth's atmosphere, and you often think, how did these guys live so long? So these are kind of small on the screen, but hopefully you can see this in your notes. These are charts of declining longevity 
over time from men in the Bible. And the flood of Noah, so the chart on the, on the right side, you can see the Genesis, the great flood of Noah, the Genesis flood, that line. Before that, it was over 900 years consistently. And then it just starts to regress down completely. Um, all, the R squared is the coefficient of determination. I know all of you were wondering what that means. But, but it's, it's to, how close does it fit a trend line? Okay, in mathematics, it's, it, the closer you get to one, the better. So R squared of nine is really good. The, you can look at the, the guy's livelihood down here below of what was happening. See, the Earth's atmosphere was so different the speed of light was exponentially faster. Barry Setterfield is a, is a physicist that's found that in Australia, has discovered that. You can look at his work on that. The speed of light in the time of Abraham was probably a thousand times what it is today. The earth was probably also spinning much faster. So if you think about the earth spinning, where does it get the energy to keep going? It keeps rotating and rotating. Well, when God spoke it, it's just, it, it was like a top almost, just spin, and then over time it starts to slow down. Well, that time has lasted for billions of years since Genesis 1-1. That's how much energy God put into it. But that's likely what led them to live much longer. And then when the ozone layer and the, and the atmosphere were fractured, then obviously death started to set in at a much younger age. And that's why you have that linear regression just going down. So anyway, the first flood, think about, see, the earth had, had had a flood before. It was between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 when God flooded the earth after the rebellion of Lucifer and the fallen angels. And that's what's documented in 2 Peter 3-3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? I don't know how many of you have heard that before. But a lot of Christians and a lot of naysayers, right, that know you're looking toward the blessed hope from Titus of the rapture, that promise has lasted since Jesus formed the church. Come on, where is that? It's been almost 2,000 years. Well, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. For 120 years, he built the ark for something that he had never seen before. And the same thing for you and I. We get to live out our faith and walk with God for our lifetime looking to a promise of something the world has never seen before. An entire group of people disappearing instantaneously and going home with the Lord. Come on, that's amazing. You have something, a promise that is greater than even Noah had to look toward. Okay, the first flood. So when you go back to Second Peter real quick, Aaron. So the Second Peter, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against that day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. See, the, the first flood covered the earth, or, or did not cover the whole earth. That's why the earth was standing in the water and out of the water. But Noah's flood covered the entire earth. It covered the whole earth. It was 15 cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. So a cubit, think of a cubit as, 
anywhere from 18 inches to two feet. That's kind of what a cubit is. So you think 30 feet high, wow, the mountains were not very tall at that point. And I've always wondered why that was. But anyway, the waters prevailed for five months, 150 days, the waters prevailed. There's only one other place in the Bible that you get 150 days. It's Revelation 9.5. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. Remember, God's calendar is always 12 30-day months or 360 days. God always works in 360-day years. And torment was as the torment of a scorpion and he that striketh a man. Those are the demonic hordes that come out of the bottomless pit during the tribulation, they're giving authority for, for five months or 150 days. Like I mentioned, Noah preached for 120 years on something that he had never seen before. And he worked by faith to build the ark that long. And so can you just imagine the ridicule that he must have endured as a man walking with God? Hey, I heard from God very clearly. I'm building this gigantic boat and I have no idea why but I'm just I'm doing this. He's telling me that something's going to destroy the world. It's going to flood, maybe rain. I've never seen this before, but I've got to go and do this. I've got a mission. And you kind of ask yourself when you read Genesis 6, why did, the, why did God even bring about the flood to begin with? We'll talk about that in more detail next week, but it's because of the rebellion of the angels, the, the fallen angels that he brought about the flood even in, to begin with. Okay, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. That's where you get, you get that out of 2 Peter 2. But there were false prophets and also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. See, God is telling you, just like Noah in his day, there were false prophets and false teachers. In your day, there's going to be false prophets and false teachers, but you've got to be a preacher dedicated to God in righteousness. Even as there shall be false teachers among you, that's you and I, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, denying the Lord that purchased them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness, covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, see this is how God's linking it back to Noah's day, the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, or uh, that word in the Greek is tartaro, tartarus. It's the very lowest depth of hell, according to the Greek. It's not normal Hades and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved into judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensemble or an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked." For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Isn't it amazing that the Lord calls Lot a righteous man? Lot wanted to give his daughters over to those guys. Lot, when, I, when you read the story of Lot, 
Righteousness is not the first word that comes to my mind, but God calls him righteous because he was in him and ran for forgiveness to him. Probably at some point after, it's not recorded. 2 Peter 2.9, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. This is a principle for your walk. And there's a lot of teenagers in this church and, and in these families, and I'm telling you the Lord has a call on your life in this season. And he has a call to a holy, righteous group of young believers that are going to run hard for him. And praise God for the teenage, the, the boys' Bible study that's breaking out. Praise God for revival in the schools and us as parents praying on behalf of our children and on behalf of the schools. You have an opportunity to do something radical for God. If you're a young person in this room, you have an opportunity to stand out more than you ever have had that opportunity in this world that we live in today. And don't take that lightly. Go and be the salt of the earth and the light of the world and walk holy and blameless before him because any temptation that comes to your life, he knows how to deliver you out of it. He will give you a way of escape. So take it. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord, but these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. See, God is... God has a stiff judgment on these people and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart, they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Besor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Balaam was a prophet, Balak and Balaam in Numbers, and he had a gift from God of prophecy, and he wanted to use it for his own gain. God didn't take the gift because the gifts are given without repentance, but you can choose to use it for something wicked. But was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass, remember his dog, he speaks to him, speaking with man's voice, forbid the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, of, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse than the beginning. That's a hard statement from God, but what a truth, what a truth. So press on and build your faith. That's the key. You know, Noah, Noah was a preacher of righteousness in Hebrews eleven seven. He condemned the world with his works, by, with his faith, by two things. He can, by building the ark, because he trusted in what God said, two things happened. One, he condemned the world. Two, became the heir of the righteousness. 
So two things happened out of his faith. Okay, God is a rewarder if you diligently seek him. And so abide in him and go forth and make disciples. Remember the great commandment, go forth and make disciples. Your faith is how you will become pleasing to God. And I'm telling you now more than ever, we've got to be watching. We've got to be diligent in our walk with the Lord because he is wanting to reward you and show you what is on the horizon. Because that unshakable kingdom is at hand. And Hebrews 12, remember, see that you refuse not him that speaketh, for they escaped not who refused him, how much more shall not we escape if we turn from the Lord that speaks from heaven? Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shall shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. And so wherefore we, this is to you and I, we Receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. That's God's kingdom. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God, for God is a consuming fire. So if you remember, remember from Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar's statue, gold, silver, um, iron, or brass, iron, and then iron mixed with clay, that final beast kingdom is the only one that's left, and it's going to be those ten toes are on the statue because the ten kings that rise up the Antichrist rises out of it. And remember God's interpretation that there was, a, there was a, a mountain that came down and strikes the feet and shatters that kingdom because it's going to take a righteous king and a righteous kingdom to shatter the beast kingdom. And God sets up a mountain, a kingdom that will fill the earth. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're waiting for. And you and I, have the responsibility to be watching. Remember from, there's a crown for watching, 2 Timothy 4.8. There's a laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, the day of Christ. And not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. So you've got to watch. Jesus in the garden asked them to watch. When you go and you study throughout the scriptures, Matthew 24, watch therefore. Matthew 25, watch therefore. Mark 13, watch and pray. Luke 21, watch. You know, the Lord is calling us all to be watching. In Mark 13, 37, this verse is so applicable to us today. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. You've got to be watching for prophetically the signs of what's coming. Well, a really exciting sign happened this week, this past couple of weeks ago. I've actually talked about this several times in here, but remember, Israel's been trying to get a red heifer so they can build the third temple. And in 2020, 2021, they thought they had one, but remember Levitically, it was born in Israel and it was unpure because it had one white hair behind its ear and so they couldn't use it. Well, now five red heifers have been raised in Texas of all places. I don't know what that means prophetically, but... Uh, it's, they've been raised in Texas, and so and they've been they were shipped. They were uh, supposed to be shipped in August. They couldn't fly because the heat was so intense. So they actually staged the red heifers at Long Island, Texas to Long Island. I don't know. That's some kind of prophetic trail or something. 
in Long Island from New York State. They were there for like a month and then they were taken from there and they arrived in Israel. The United States does not trade livestock with nations. There's a lot of reasons why. Because you can transmit diseases, you can ship something here that shouldn't be over there. There's a lot of bad things that can happen. But this happened. And they have five that are Levitically pure red heifers. And that's the last piece they were waiting on to build the temple, to be ready to build it. And so will we see the temple built in our lifetime? I'm not sure. But I can tell you that every single thing for the end times and for God's people to be removed is accelerating quickly. And those images in the bottom are models of the third temple. You can even see on the bottom right the crane and the construction of it. You can go on the Temple Institute and actually walk through a 3D model of the temple and stand in the Holy of Holies that the Antichrist will desecrate at the midpoint of the tribulation, according to Daniel 9, Jesus, and Revelation. And so you could do that. You could look at it in a model. That is amazing. That's how close we are. And they think it once they're given the okay to build it, they can have it up and running in three to six months. It's that fast. So will we see this? We might get to see this happen. There's nowhere in the Bible that says the church is removed before this third temple. All we know is that it's standing during the tribulation. That's all we know. And so keep that in mind and do not donate to the cause. Uh, these, are not, these are not Messianic Jews. They do not believe in Jesus. They do not believe that the sacrifice was made once and for all. That's why they feel they need this standing so they can, they can have remission for sin again, according to the Torah, but in their minds, they haven't been able to forgive sin since 70 AD. That's, that's what they think. And it's, it's shocking that Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and Libya, and several other Muslim nations, predominantly Muslim nations, are coming out and saying, Israel needs a temple again. We need to get a temple. And I don't know if you've ever studied the Copper Scroll Project. There's actually a guy in Lawton, a firefighter from Lawton, that did this. Um, he, he thinks they actually have the Ark of the Covenant located. We've talked about that in Ethiopia before. He thinks they've got the tabernacle that Moses had in the wilderness stored away. Because Jeremiah, before Babylon captured Israel, took everything he could that was precious to the Jews and hid them in a cave somewhere. And he took a copper scroll and he punched um, basically a code, like a treasure map, of where it is. It's called the Copper Scroll Project. You can look that up online. But this guy, in, this firefighter in Lawton has deciphered it and spent a lot of time in Israel helping them figure out where the caves are. So we may see that soon. I don't know. But all of that to say, Jesus is taking us home at some point. And it may be in our lifetime. Maybe it's in the lifetime of our kids, our grandkids. It's going to happen at some point. The the mission for you and I is to build our faith right now and to live as, in as much of a sense of urgency for Christ as we can. And the only way to do that is to get into the word of God. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And you've got to not be negligent. You've got to run that you may obtain from 1 Corinthians 9. And so if, you, if you're watching this, if you don't know the Lord and you want to be born again, it's very simple. It's Romans 10, 9. 
that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's that simple. And so if you're in this room, if you're online, if you're watching this at some point in the future, it's that simple. Do not, do not think there's any other way to God. There is one way, and his name is Jesus. We'll close in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for this time and for the study of your word. God, I thank you for the fact that faith comes by hearing and you have given us everything we need to build our faith, to stand in these last of last days for your kingdom and to walk according to your promise as heirs in authority and co-heirs with Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that our time here is yet short, but our time there is eternal. And we thank you that we have that to look forward to in eternal fellowship in your presence with the King. And Lord, we pray that you'd be with us as we go out this week. Lord, let us take up your mission of making disciples, making learners of your ways and your kingdom and by studying your word. It's just that simple, God. And we thank you for this study through Hebrews. Be with us in the days ahead and let us all have eyes to see and to watch what is happening on the horizon, Lord, so that when you come, you do not come as a thief because we will know the seasons of your arrival to bring us home when we see the prophetic setting up all over the world of what you've written more about in your word than any other period of time in all of history. So thank you for it, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.